Welcome to episode 31 of Something Inventive. Today, Al and I will be talking about lots of things. Um, a couple of topics lined up are slaying the Christmas GDPR myths. Nice pun there. Thanks, uh, ICO. Um, it was a little article from their newsletter I want to talk about. There's a couple of good things in there to talk about. We'll also be looking at meetups. Al's going to start going to a few meetups and we're going to look at what value meetups are and what, what comes out of them, why people want to join together over a common topic. Uh, we might also touch a little bit on uh, WordPress Gutenberg. I listened to a great podcast by Seth Godin called Outsource or Not to Outsource. So we'll be looking at that. So uh, let's go back to the top. Um, Al, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break the tradition and just ask, how are you? How are you coming up into this lovely festive period? Uh, I'm fine. I, I'm just uh, drying out after the deluge this morning. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm sitting in my lovely cosy office, which you, people can now see. People may notice, yes, there's a little, there's a little difference yes. if you are, if you've ventured onto YouTube, hopefully we'll be uh, publishing our podcast as a video as well. So people can see what we look like, see our lovely offices and uh, hopefully sharing a little bit of what's going on. Um, yes. so, so you can see Al's um, pod. Um, it's, it's my uh, uh, decorated in a very traditional style with just one picture and a Tron <laughs> style LED strip. Bit of both, you know. Are, are you it. able to change the colour for us now? Um, uh, yes, I've got a little uh, little uh, device here that um, does that, so I can um, change Ooh. any colour, or I can just cycle through all the colours sometimes. So yeah, it's um, it's great. Love it. My <laughs> office is looking decidedly boring compared to yours. Although I do have this lovely uh, picture in the background painted by a friend of mine, Neris, many, many years ago, which I haven't put up yet because it's rather large. I thought it was a Matisse. <laughs> it's worth lots of money. We quite like doing the Bristol video where we, where we did a lot of live, well, it wasn't live recorded video, but we were recording on site and, put it, and Claire was putting it, that together afterwards for us. We want to experiment a little bit, see if video can um, get us more viewers, um, reach a different audience. I've certainly had some feedback from um, customers or people I know saying that actually they found the video episode a bit more accessible. It's a lot easier for them to dip into and listen to, even though a lot of the time people weren't watching all of it, they were just listening to it. So there was no difference really in the podcast. I think they just found it easier to click on something they knew, which was YouTube and watch it there. Forgive us, it's a bit of an experience the first time we're doing this. So there's a lot going on. In fact, should we just quickly talk about what's going on in here at the moment? We yeah, let's do it. It's a very exciting podcasting. There we go. Um, let's go back to the top. So basically what, what we're doing at the moment is we're using Zoom as a tool to um, manage the video and the uh, audio conferencing um, things. So basically we're communicating over Zoom, which is a, a tool that a lot of people use for this sort of thing. They use it for webinars and conferencing. We use it a lot for the coaching that we do. It's quite a useful tool. We don't often record in it though. So it does have this really useful feature where you can actually record the video and audio live. So if you do have a meeting, that's something that you could maybe send around to other people afterwards. Um, so we've got that enabled. We're also using what I generally use for podcasting, which is this um, brilliant app called Audio Hijack. So that's sitting down in my left, left hand corner of my window. Um, and this is basically, you can see what's happening here. It's taking um, audio from the application Zoom. It's then piping it through some VU meters so I can see what's going on. Um, you'll see on the left-hand side there under this little peak um, RMS um, block that you can see the left-hand side is going up and down. So that's basically monitoring the audio coming through from my channel. Al, if you speak. Uh, I, yes, I'm just thinking it looks a little bit like a flux capacitor. <laughs> yes. 
it does. I, I, uh, I've got plans to make it a bit more wild because I want to start using this system to pipe in audio from YouTube and various other things. Um, and also be able to control the volumes of each level. Um, because I had an interview recording the other day and the interviewee's recording was very um, very high in comparison to mine. And that's something I haven't got sorted on here yet in order to balance it out and have a proper mixer. Um, and then it spits off into the recorder. So it basically records the output, my, me on the left, uh, Al on the right channel, and that enables our editor to um, um, remove coughs or ums and errs while Al's speaking or vice versa. That's quite useful. You're insinuating that I make all the ums and errs. No, definitely me. I'm, I'm the one who makes all the mistakes. Um, and then there's just an oddity that um, if you run it through this normally, I'm going to get an echo on my channel. So there's this little section to the um, right hand side where it splits that channel out and basically mutes my channel, but then feeds back the output to the um, headphones so I can hear everything as it should be. Um, it works quite well. Very good. So it's a really nice system, Audio Hijack. I definitely recommend it if you're doing any podcasting or you want to capture audio. It's brilliant. Um, and what's really good about it is it, you can capture audio from any device. As long as on your Mac, you've got, uh, you can run that program. Anything that is outputting audio, you can, you can run it on there. Um, so that's great. Um, just because I don't trust Zoom at the moment until we've worked, worked through this a few times, I'm also recording it using QuickTime built onto the Mac. So I'm just recording the whole screen as well, just in case as a, as a backstop. Um, just to see, because, because we're not sure how it's going to work. So we're basically recording everywhere. I think the only thing we're not doing is recording Al's end. So if it all fails here. There's a video camera it. set up behind me, which is videoing <laughs> the screen. And that, yeah, no, there isn't. <laughs> Yeah, that's a bit of background. Um, so hopefully we'll be putting this out on the same schedule and we'll just be doing the podcast as we do it, but you can see what's happening as we go along. Uh, just a few other things on here. This is the um, program we use for um, managing the show notes. Uh, this is Basecamp. We use it for all of our um, communication, really. So this is just one of the text documents in there, so you'll be able to see what's coming up. And then I'm hoping that we can also show you or share the web pages we're looking at. So as we're talking about topics, if there's a relevant web page, I'm going to try and bring it up at the same time. And so um, swiftly moving on, we've got our first topic, which is slaying the Christmas GDPR myths. Um, and despite the pun, it's actually not a bad little article. This came through from the um, ICO's newsletter, which I do, I do try and read, although a lot of it I feel is either um, not relevant to us because it's just talking about huge companies and what, what's going on, um, or it's uh, just boring <laughs> sometimes the, the topic is not something that excites me um, however this was quite fun so I thought I'd just delve into it um, and you can just find this uh, on the ICO's website or just search for slaying the Christmas GDPR myths there's a couple of bits that um, apart from these uh, sort of funny bits at the beginning or funny ha ha not very uh, bits at the beginning there's something that caught my attention where was it about uh, parents here we are so yeah this question here you can't contact parents um, to tell them what stall will be running at the Christmas fair um, because you don't have their express consent. Now, I, I know a lot of our customers are finding this difficult in terms of, well, can we contact our customers or not? And I think this actually gives a little bit of clarity to that because it's saying you don't always need um, explicit consent to contact people. In some cases, you can get legitimate interest, which means that as a PTA or the school, you, you um, believe the parents have a legitimate interest in knowing about this Christmas fair. It's to do with their children, it's to do with raising money for the school. They have a legitimate interest in knowing about this. Um, Where does that stop though, the legitimate interest? Because yeah. there's that thing, you know, with like um, when PPI calls started 
and I think they went through the some channels and it was like well people have a legitimate interest in being informed it was like it was more of like an information thing it wasn't trying to sell you PPI kind of uh refund it was like it's like an information Mm -hmm. service and so you could say people have got legitimate interest in that couldn't you and you get called up saying oh well you've got legitimate interest in knowing about PPI refunds you know who who makes the call over yeah exactly so you could say well you've got at least once we should be able to call you to let you know about this I I I wonder if you could argue that and that's I would say that if I'm if I'm particularly interested in it, then I'll contact you. But then you're right in saying that if I don't know that it's a problem, how do I know to contact you to, to see if there's any recourse against the, the PPI claim or you know, the PPI um, payments that were made and, or taken out on my behalf? Um, and it maybe goes too far. I, d- I don't know at what, what level there is. Maybe it's that um, you can look at history. Are parents generally annoyed by getting um, notifications that their school is having a fair? No. Generally not. Um, I've certainly not heard of it. I'm usually quite quite pleased if there's coffee and cake on offer. I'm I'm there. I'm happy to give up give up my money. But but in the case of these PPI calls, you could say that when people start talking about it in social media or down the pub or to their friends and saying, I really hate those PPI calls, that you you could say that actually it's not in anyone's legitimate interest for those anymore. But I don't know. And this is where I get stuck. But it's interesting to see the uh, um, ICO guys sort of pulling this out. But it's also an admission there that it's confusing and uh, clearly, you know, people don't want to do the wrong thing. Uh, and I think that in some ways, you know, that's going to have a detrimental effect on, on things. I mean, I'm still getting calls, random calls from, you know, unknown numbers trying to, you know, sell me stuff like automated lines. I'm still getting those. They're, you know, they're just ignoring it, aren't they? They're ignoring the whole GDPR thing. Just yeah. waiting to have a knock on the door, which probably won't come. Well, I mean, depending on what they do with the data, in some circumstances, um, it's different with your number because it's going to be private. You haven't got a publicly listed number. But if someone were to call our 0800 number or maybe find my mobile number on the, on the web, then mm. there's no reason why they can't call me. What they can't do is then store that information. Um, but there's no reason why they can't call me. Probably can't hassle me. You know, you've got your number on the internet. What yeah. do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> You know, what's exactly. our but, but that's one that's one of the reasons why I have that buffer in between. We've got an 0800 number, so I know where it's coming from. And it's not it's something I can shut off, redirect or move as and when I need to. Mm. It's, it's kind of like, you know, we have this phone, this number, our phone number and an email address and a, and a physical address. But wouldn't it be really good? I was talking to someone the other day. If we just gave out kind of like one time use address. And so this was managed um, somehow. Uh, and also a phone number. You can say, here's my phone number. But it only ever works once. And it, you know, it routes through to your number, but the just, other just person once, doesn't know what you're Yeah, and you, and you could say, you could have a little dashboard online, you could kind of also, you know, make numbers or something, oh, um, yeah. and say, how many, how many times can someone call in on this number? And you could just, mm-hmm. by default, it's one. Um, so, and then I, any, any other calls after that just wouldn't come through to you. No one knows your source phone number. Mm. Uh, and same with address. So you'd have like a number, your address would be like some crazy, like, you know, IP address type style address, which when it's posted through the post office service, it gets translated into a physical address. The, the person um, at the end doesn't know where you live. Don't you all. get that with a PO box? You can have that with a PO box where you can have that and they'll just forward the mail on. Yes, quite. It's, it's like a virtual uh, PO box. So it's a pretty safe way of like, say you're signing up for something. You just put on a one time temporary address for you. They've no idea where you live. It goes through the post service. They do. It gets replaced with a proper address. Also, it'd be much easier to read the addresses if you think about it. Um, it gets replaced with a proper address, sent to you. And uh, if you don't ever want to hear those, those people again, 
well then you uh, just cancel that on your sort of dashboard and you'll never get a post from them again is that a good idea or what well, it, it might be if, if it's as long as it can be managed easily. So you don't have to keep giving people different um, addresses, because I think that's the problem. If you were having to give people a different address each time, then it's, it's more of a pain. I know my brother does something similar with an email address. So he's got a domain, Dog, and he will um, create different emails for yes. different services and put them in there. I do that. So he knows where they come from. Yeah, a lot yes, of people I do, do. And you can then see if someone has shared your email address. It just reminds me of this, uh, the new postcode, this, um, was it a new postcode system or a potential for a new postcode? Did you it's mention that, this before? Yeah, it's like three words, isn't it? What three yeah. words? And it's like you can it. locate yourself on a map anywhere in the world. I think it's called what, what three words. Um, nice. And it's instead of, it's like an IP address in a sense, but it, it, it's just words. So they're easy to remember the numbers. It's just three random short words that will pinpoint a square meter on earth. Yeah, this is it. I'm just trying to, is there an, um, I'm sure there was an example of how to, oh, here we are. So, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you can put your address Daring lion race. Okay. I love the words it comes up with. It's meant to be memorable. That's quite a good one. I'm going to put in ours because it's a, it's a public uh, GL. Doing <laughs> restriction joked. That's ours. Yeah, so that's, um, uh, that's what three words. I think it's quite fun to play with. Right, we need to move on. We need to move on. Oh, go on. Um, there was one final thing on there I wanted to mention. Again, this is sort of, going into the confusion. Uh, Christmas cards are banned if you don't have the recipient's consent. What's funny is, um, no, GPR doesn't uh, ban Christmas cards. Yes, in a, in a personal context, of course it doesn't, because <coughs> it doesn't, um, it's not legislating against personal communication, it's business to personal or business to business communication. So it says, no, it's not, but actually says, well, if you're sending corporate Christmas cards, you still need to be careful. So it's, it's exactly the same thing. Um, it's saying, if it's, especially if it's addressed to an individual, um, it needs to comply with the regulation still. So you need to have a legitimate interest or you need to comply with um, electronic communication regulation if, if it's email as well. Um, so it, that's not really any different. I, didn't, I wasn't confused whether GDPR would uh, stop me sending a Christmas card to my auntie. Uh, it was more from a business context. So. Uh, it's an interesting article. I, I, I will have links in the show notes. People should read it, um, but we should move on to our sponsor. Most business, business owners I meet uh, just need a little bit of help to get stuff done in business, such as bookkeeping, uh, call answering, event management, marketing, all that sort of stuff. There's lots of little things that um, go on in marketing, which need a little bit of help. Um, but basically, people shouldn't be focused on those. They should be focused on making money. So if their time is better spent doing that or working in the business or just taking more time off, then they, uh, it might be worth outsourcing. So with that in mind, we launched a new service called Inventive People to do just that. Really, it's an awesome collective, creative, technical, and marketing people ready to help you um, with the most common marketing and promotional tasks. You can see our website right now, um, and I'm just gonna take you through a little example. So we've got four key sections at the moment. We've got video, photography, content writing, and internet marketing. So I'll just go into the video as an example. You pick that as a topic, an area that you need help with. And in here, we've just got three different things Three different tasks or mini projects that you might need help with such as editing supplied video footage so if you've gone out and taken a client case study video with your iphone you can send us the footage and we'll top and tail it we'll trim it we'll make it seem we'll make it flow well we'll put in um any graphics at the beginning and end subtitle it as needed so we'll do all that processing um, for you so if that's something you're interested in you'd click on um, edit your supply footage you select the length of video output that you want uh, and then add it to your card. Simple as that. And once it comes through, we'll, um, we'll 
either give you a call if that's necessary or we will um, have an email conversation with you to work out the details and then process it that way. Normally things can be turned around within um, two days to a week depending on the task and what's required and how busy we are but we'll let you know that up front. Um, now you'll see at the top that uh, you can get 10% off your first order with the discount code newbie but if you're listening to this podcast then you can use a special code inventive podcast and uh, as a listener you get 20% off your first order so um, if there's a few things you want you can load up a big cart and get 20% off the whole lot it's just once but it is 20% which is a significant discount so that's um, inventivepeople.co.uk go and check it out and let us know what you think so moving back to our agenda we're going to look at uh, meetups. So, um, Al, you've been going to some meetups recently. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I just decided to get out of my garden shed for a, for a little while while I could. Um, so I've just been attending various sort of technical-related meetups using the meetup.com app. Yeah. Although there are other meetups kind of ecosystem, yeah. but um, a lot of things on there, and there's quite a lot of tech meetups on there because I guess it's something that's quite fast-paced, you need to keep up, and there's also quite um, a strong community of collaboration and help there in sort of technical uh, arena. So there's quite a few to choose from. First one I ever did was I went to a meetup about testing in Bristol. It was uh, yeah about like uh, testing prototypes or, or finished sites and this sort of thing. And yeah, I was, uh, it was at Ovo in Bristol, which is one reason why I went as well, because they've got amazing offices. They're like right. the Google of like Bristol. Um, you go in and they've got literally a tree house in the foyer. I'm not even exaggerating. So yes, it's quite an amazing place. And all the, the entire offices are kitted out with sort of fake grass. It's just quite a cool place to be. So I went on to that and that was, uh, that was quite good. And I was just really amazed. There's a lot of people there. And as I've come to realise, pizza and beer are generally kind of free at these things. Yeah. So they are in this one. I don't know about, maybe not in other ones, but certainly in the tech ones, it was quite common. Um, so that's always good. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's quite interesting. And there's usually different people who talk, um, sometimes people, members of the group or they get people from outside. Um, so that, that's, that's good. And then the other one I went to um, was a UX. In fact, I've been to like five now. I went to a UX meetup, which was, again, really interesting. And it was just like a local UX company talking about some things that they've done and what things not to do mm-hmm. with, with like UX projects and stuff. Unbeknown to me, that it was quite a short talk and quite a long amount of workshop working with the other people at the meetup, which I wasn't prepared for. Yes. I mean, I'm not even the UXer, as they called. Uh, other people were. And we had to like work through a scenario of um, improving uh, how a bus ticket app works and all working through oh, all really? the things. That could, yeah. So working through all the things that could go wrong or all right with getting like buying a ticket online for a bus and all the things that lead up to that event occurring correctly and how to mitigate and remove the barriers or problems that might occur. For example, you haven't got a signal um, I didn't realise if you um, buy a ticket and you activate the ticket, that ticket's only valid for like 10 minutes or something. Really? So, you, so that's the sort of things you ran through is like yeah. what could go wrong. Um, biggest thing is like your phone battery goes and then you're stuck. So, I mean, I've got a, I've got a, a train a rail card and if I don't have it and I can't show it, then that's a problem. It's not going to run out of battery, just suddenly disappear. <laughs> is it like, well, oh, I just vanished out of my wallet. Went... <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah. Um, so it's that. And then I went to uh, another UX one, which was like a new group for like learning UX. Not what I was expecting. But again, you, you just there's just some random groups. There are so, loads. So, so I'm, I'm showing yeah. now the homepage of Meetup on my screen. And um, you can, all sorts. Yeah, you can. I, I want to search, search for Dungeons 
I saw one the other day. I saw one the other day for Reiki uh, with my dog. <laughs> Meet up. Really? <laughs> so you can do Reiki on your on your anim animals. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are. Here's the Dungeons and Dragons group um, in 50 miles. Uh, it's a bit too far away. Northampton nerds. So I can go and play board games with them. Um, looks like there's not a lot going on in that particular group. <laughs> but um, uh, so WordPress would be our our one. So yeah. Uh, there's there's the local one that I, that I go to, um, mm. and um, and actually I, I started going to that um, a couple of months back. Uh, when was it? August, I think. Um, and the reason I went there is because I I like getting together with other people, um, either of whatever the topic is, but particularly WordPress is quite interesting. But just web people or technology people, I really like getting together and just meeting new people who maybe through some common affinity. Um, and this group's really nice, run by um, Elliot and Teresa. Let's see if we can get them up on here. Oh, that's nice, there's, there's Teresa here. Um, and so they run the group and it's a, really, uh, it's a really fun, good group. We had a sort of Q and A session last time and um, it was basically, if you had some questions, throw them into the pile and whoever can answer them, help each other out and we're sort of moving around the table, getting to chat to everyone. Actually, it's, that's a really nice format for me. I, I like that. But also they have talks as well. You get people come up, just, just give talks. Um, free sandwiches and uh, no beer at, at this particular one, but definitely sandwiches oh, and chips. Yeah. So I've been going to the Bristol one. They do have food, very generous amount of food. Um, they don't have free beer, but they are based in a pub. So that's <laughs> yeah. not so much problem. There's a bar actually in the room. So yeah, you can't really complain too much there. I do love the idea behind meetups. It's it's really good. I tried a few in the past, gave, gave up. I, I just didn't didn't go to any um, over the last few years. Just started again because I, I actually miss it. It's 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 my sort of socialising. I've got friends I go out with, but actually I quite like this as well. Meeting new people and being part of something, being part of a bigger community. It's quite nice. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a big draw for people, and obviously a lot of people in this industry. I work on their on their own, you know, freelance or. Um, just yeah, need that sort of moral support as well as technical support from a group. Yeah. So um, yeah, I've been to the Bristol version of this, I guess. Um, I've uh, yeah, the first one I went to, um, I, I arrived in in a pub and uh, went upstairs. It's like in a room upstairs, um, and uh, it was it was like a sold out one. And there's like fifty or sixty people they pack into this room. So I went up and there was just no one there. And uh, I was like, oh, that's strange. I was about five minutes early. And I thought, hmm. Uh, maybe they will have a drink downstairs like first and I was like mm. so I just hung around and I looked around like looked in all the doors and uh, uh, even went outside on this like, roof terrace and there's just no one it's like okay this is a bit fine uh, uh, and so I checked my uh, app and I was like yeah I'm definitely in the right place and then uh, as I was just looking up I realized um, that I was a week early <laughs> <laughs> so there I have gone all the way to Bristol and walked across Bristol incurring quite a lot of time and money to walk into an empty function room and I was like oh so I just went home uh, and then I went to the actual one the week after so I've been to two there uh, the first one was about page builders and the one I went to um this week on Tuesday uh was about Gutenberg Gutenberg and also so, progressive enhancement do you want to explain a little bit about what Gutenberg is and how that may relate to people who use WordPress uh, our clients and other people listening I've slightly had my head in the sand about Gutenberg to be fair um, it just hasn't come up in my sort of day-to-day -day work as yet, but it's about to. 
and it's going to be a question I think people, a lot of people are going to be t- asking and talking about. It's a project run by WordPress to kind of massively improve the editor in, in WordPress. But I think it's bigger than that. Mm. I think it's got it's got far broader horizons than that. But at the moment, they're just working on a better editor, which is more like a page builder that we might be used to. I mean, we use Visual Composer or WP Bakery Page Builder now, which I think Visual Composer is a much better name. Yeah. Um, but there are other ones. Um, Elementor is a really popular one. Or, or there's one in Divi that people use and you can well, just I use it. I don't like that one. Yeah. No, but you can. there's a page builder that you could just use outside of Divi, just like the Divi page builder. I'm just saying, other page no, builders no, are no, available. No, no, absolutely. You're, you're not biased towards any particular... Um, the, the page builders I like, which is why we settled on Visual Composer, the ones where you can loosely see what the framework is, what the layout is before it's published. I mean, it doesn't look exactly like that. Um, I think the benefit with Gutenberg is that it's going to look a little bit more like how it's going to display on screen. But if you've ever looked at Elementor, that is a lot like Gutenberg in terms of where it looks and it is on screen. You don't have all the stuff around the outside like in Visual Composer. You don't have like the WordPress, all of the other bits. You don't, you're not just putting content into the editor, although you are really, but um, Elementor is just a completely different kind of thing. Um, it doesn't look like even WordPress. From what I've seen when I went to this other talk, and that's quite popular. And Gutenberg's going to be a bit more like that. You've got blocks, you can do things really quickly out on a YouTube you know, block or, or a text block and so forth. For developers, there's ability to kind of make new blocks. That was a bit what the talk was about. It's quite technical. On Tuesday, we had someone from Automatic there who was actually involved in the Gutenberg team. Mm-hmm. She kind of knows what she's talking about. Again, for me, because I'm really fresh to it, it's a little confusing to begin with. So I'm just trying to like work out. But uh, the bottom line at the moment is that it's kind of divided the WordPress community a little bit. Some people are saying, well, it's not ready. And it's a bit sort of a bit of like a knee jerk reaction, which has been quite a few years in the making yeah. uh, and could be better implemented. Some things don't work and it's still in beta and, and, the, and the, date, the date where it's released is keep getting pushed forward. So there's that. And the other, I mean, the other part of it is, I guess, is a, uh, just a usability thing it's saying you know do we want users to be able to make their own crazy pages because it's kind of going back to inline styles and stuff because you can put a block on and then color it and it's a bit like you can a visual composer i guess you can put a block on color it make it put a drop shadow then you end up with the, the content writer doing the design yeah and then that is a question is that the right person to and be we've, doing we've always struggled with that between us in, in so much as when we're designing a website or when you're building it shall i say and designing it but we're talking about it that there i'm always erring on the side of let's use visual composer more because from a marketing perspective it allows us more freedom to float the content in different ways and present it in different ways but then when you look at it from someone who isn't who's less bothered about the look and just needs to get content on there and deliver it in a certain way or if you've got a lot of repeated information, so you can put it in one place, but it's repeated in lots of different places, you don't want to have to make that all yourself. So it really does sometimes come down to, yet that while having ultimate control over how that particular page looks, you don't always want that. You know, there's certain circumstances where you don't want to say, well, every page where I want to have news, I need to manually put the news (laughs) on that page. It's not going to work. So it's having a a good balance between allowing people to have some flexibility, but then some in in WordPress parlance, like short codes coming through to deliver other content. Yeah. Well, let's imagine the the future of Gutenberg, because this isn't, it's like the first bit of it. Yeah. Imagine, and again, I don't know enough about it yet, but imagine in theory, you could create your own template. So what you're talking about there is like a templating system. So let's say you've got every news article, you don't want to necessarily lay it out. But you maybe want the news pages to be slightly different mm. from the other pages. I mean, at the moment, you'd get a theme, like a WordPress theme that 
had like the single page in the WordPress template system laid out differently with different styles and so forth. But let's imagine if, if Gutenberg became the, the template or theme editor as well. Mm. So you kind of lay out, you say, I want new pages to look like this. I want a block here and I want this there. Da, 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 da. And then that then translates when you're editing a post, it says, well, these are the blocks you've got and, and you can put whatever you want in here, maybe within certain limitations, like you can't put a video here or maybe you could or so forth. So again, it's like one step closer to not having any, getting involved in any code at all. And when I was at the meetup, someone said something to me, which was quite interesting. Uh, and it's not a phrase I'd heard, but she said um, that, I guess the kind of page builder, kind of WordPress builders um, are referred to as clickers because you don't actually need to type anything yeah. <laughs> other than the content. You don't need to write any code. It, it, it's literally, it's clicking, it's pointing, it's dragging and dropping, it's selecting things. So that's an interesting way of looking at it, which I'd never really thought of before. But it is going that way in the sense that like, anyone can build a site now. You know, you've got things like Wix or Mr. Site or... Squarespace. Um, Squarespace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, WordPress itself, like WordPress.com, um, where, yeah, you're encouraged to do your own site and it's easy. You can make it all. I've seen the lots of adverts of Wix on YouTube where they just say, yeah, you can make it and you make amazing looking sites. You know, I don't know how they translate when they shrink because that's complicated. But <laughs> certainly what they show on screen, it's like, I, yeah. I, it's I've seen them. I've seen that uh, certainly with Wix sites, meeting lots of people through the fastest scheme as I do. I've seen the result of lots of Wix sites and they're right. not quite as exciting as the ones you see in the adverts. They're well, fine. I, yeah, and they I get do, started. And really, it's like with most anything, just do it. It doesn't matter how you do it and what it looks like. Just get started. So I really do advocate those web builders in some ways because it gets people over the hurdle of getting something online. They'll find that there's roadblocks. At least they get there and they're able to experiment and do things. But that's why I like Visual Composer because it allows us to experiment with that. It allows us to have slightly different pages rather than getting you involved on certain things, which might be quite complicated to do programmatically. It's like, well, we can just, we can do these pages quite quickly. If that turns out to be a rule, then there may be some ways to code that into the template. So it's a lot faster to do it. Um, I know certain, certainly some of the work you've been doing for a client, you've been, um, they wanted to drop PDFs on every product uh, for spec sheets and things like that. Well, you could, do, um, you could do that manually and make sure you drop them in the right place or maybe format it with a little image yourself to make it look nice. But you're able to, once they put the PDF and done the association, it would just programmatically generate a graphic for the, for the PDF. So it's a nice, easy download. Well, that can be changed in one place across, across the site. So it, it is that delicate balance of saying, well, what do you need? Where do you need this dynamic editing? Where do you need this control over exactly how things look as opposed to, having something that is made by a program to a certain rule. But yeah, it's not out yet. I think it was due to be out actually in December, but it's been sort of pushed back a little bit. It, it will be coming out by default um, as the, uh, within WordPress 5, is it? Um, yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, WordPress 5, so it's yes. um, so, You can download it now as a plugin. Yes. But what, what we'll be doing is we'll, we'll, we'll play with it in advance. And um, our next podcast, we look to, we'll, I think we'll just focus on that and we'll go through the detail. I think it might be quite nice to walk people through it and, uh, and have a play with it. And let's, let's just talk about it and see how people can either avoid putting it on temporarily while they get themselves in order or how you embrace it and move forward. Because that is going to be the future, uh, whether you like it or not. <laughs> mm, yes. Anything else you want to add on Gutenberg, or shall we move on? Uh, no, I think that's, um, that's good. 
Um, well, we're actually getting to time. So I'll just touch briefly on this, which is a, um, something I've, we've just been pushing out, pushing out, because we've had various other things in the way. But it was a really good podcast. In fact, the whole podcast is great from Seth Godin. It's called Akimbo, this one here. So it's a really good podcast. And this particular episode was called The Mesh. And he's essentially talking about how um, the internet has enabled people to sort of rem remove the middleman, to uh, allow them to go direct to the source. That said, why, why is it um, that people still require certain services like Deloitte, who effectively, they have a load of contractors on their hands, and you go to Deloitte to get those contracts. Well, you could go directly to those contractors. You can, in fact, employ some of those people directly and have them on staff, um, or some people of the same order. So why do people still use those services? Why do they still use middlemen? A couple of things he was talking about here and really looking at why, when and where you might outsource what you're doing. And he gave two examples. So one of them where you could outsource it is something like copy editing. Because you don't necessarily need copy editing in-house unless you're a publisher. So you don't need that in-house all the time. So you really want, wouldn't want to pay an expert to be on staff all the time. Um, usually it's not a rush to get things proofread or copy edited or written. So therefore you can send that off to send off your bullet points or your recording by email to someone. They can do the writing in their own time and send it back um, on an agreed schedule. You can also control the quality because you will get back the um, resulting uh, Word document. You can read through it and make sure you're happy with it before you publish it on your website. Um, some people may, may go even further to, to publish it for you, but you, sh you still retain some element of editorial control. However, it's very difficult to outsource something uh, similar in a restaurant. So he gave the example of a chicken Kiev. It would be difficult for a restaurant to outsource the cooking of a chicken Kiev to someone else in a different restaurant where they couldn't control it because you, you don't know how, how clean their kitchen is uh, unless you have regular inspections. Uh, or how long they've left it out on the counter, you can't see what they're doing. Uh, the time delay in terms of sending uh, a message to them and them doing it in their own own time and then sending it back to you a week later, it's not gonna happen. You know, it needs to be, someone is ordering it now, we need it on the table within 10 minutes or less. So because you're not able to control that quality so much, you're not able to, what he refers to as, you, you have less information about that particular product. You wouldn't wanna delegate that out to an outside company and then have them bring it in and deliver it straight to your straight to your customer at your table. Although that might be quite an interesting concept. Something like Deliveroo um, is, is, is sort of picking at the pieces they can outsource. Um, and I thought that's quite interesting. And that's how really people sh in business should look at outsourcing is if the quality is important and, you need to and you're only able to control it in real time or you need to control it in-house for some reason, then that's maybe where you should employ people or have, or have contractors working in-house so you can, you can control that. Um, but if it's anything that where there is no um, key time limit, or it's certainly not measured in minutes or hours, where you can check over the quality and make sure you're happy before you deliver it to your customers, and where you don't need that expertise all the time, absolutely, you should outsource. And then he was talking about, as I said, the internet, how it removes the middleman. But uh, then you have companies like Deloitte, who are the middlemen, uh, so to speak, and they have a bunch of contractors on their staff, you go to Deloitte, you say what you need, and they, they will refer you to a contract. You pay Deloitte, they pay the contractor. It's quite simple. Why do people use that? It's because they Deloitte have trust, 
Deloitte have already done the work in verifying those people. They're verifying the quality. They may give some assurance, guarantee. So they're giving you a lot more peace of mind, basically, rather than you going out and finding those contractors for yourself. One other comment on here. Often a lot of people want to do this because use companies like Deloitte. And I guess inventive people as well is a similar concept. You know, we've got contractors that we know. Um, you could go to those contractors individually, but the benefit of coming for us is we've done the hard work, we've put them in one place, we've got fixed pricing. Um, but the benefit is that it's easier to rent those people as and when you need them than to have a commitment with them and buy it um, when you need it. Anyway, I won't go on about it. Listen to it. I'll make sure the link's in the show notes. It's a really good, um, the whole, whole podcast is very good. They're always pretty short. Um, and this one's a particularly good one to get started with. Any comments on outsourcing, Al? Well, I think for web-related things, by outsourcing, you can tap into more knowledge than you would have if you did have those people internally. You would have to maintain a high level of knowledge and training in a big team. And it's like you're saying, if you've got, if, if your thing that you do is website and that's your main thing, then yes, you may want to have the team internally. You can all work on a roadmap together and so forth. But if it's just like a project you're working on for a short amount of time, you, I don't think you'd be able to get value for money by hiring people. Mm to do that if you can outsource it and find those specialists because these days it's all very specialist you need to find those specialists you're not going to find one or two people with all of the specialist knowledge that you need absolutely so i think perhaps you could have done in the past but definitely not now you know everything's like its own different um, specialism you know seo you know coding or front-end development back-end development databases security all these things um and then you can tap into those specialisms as you need them yeah so i think that makes perfect sense yeah, and also it allows you to experiment. You know, maybe you want to um, you want to have your own in-house team. It would be better to have your in-house team, but it's expensive. So what you can do is experiment with using contractors to build that up until you until you absolutely need to. You know, you get to a point where either your outsourcing is costing more than it would be to get the right person in-house, and, and you can do that, or or you can augment that person as well. You can say, well, I'll still get a person in in-house, but then we can get some specialist expertise and bring it in to support that person. I know. I know a couple of our clients have done that in, in the past. You know, they've had some people in-house, but, but we're on hand to give them that additional knowledge that an in-house person, um, it isn't necessarily that they're not going to know, but their head isn't in it all the time. And also they're specialists to that one area, whereas we, we span so many different things mm. that we can give that external advice. I mean, I've, I've worked in, in-house and agency. So, um, you know, and I really did... I, in fact, weirdly, I never ever wanted a work agency, and I've I think I'm done it for about twelve years now. Um, but um, <laughs> is that longer I, than you you work in house? <laughs> yeah, it was only supposed to be a couple of years. Um, so I, I really like working in house because you you do get to see the fruits of your labour in a sense, and you can think ahead, and yeah. it's got value, and you don't have to assign every hour to like how much that's going to cost. Yeah. You don't have to have those conversations all the time about oh this is an extra and oh we haven't really thought about this and that wasn't what we thought in a project you don't know at the beginning you really don't know no one actually really knows it's not a fault of anyone when you set out a, um, you know, a project plan and it doesn't go that way it's not a fault it's because no one knew uh, and how, how could you? you you don't know you're going to come up against something so what i'm saying is if you work in house it's fine you can just change tack there's no repercussions really other than your time and also working in house if the business uh, if you work in a big business and you, you know you've got different pressures from different areas uh, people will generally understand more why something's been put to one side because you're working on this other thing. It's more important. Yeah. Because in an agency, they're paying you and you're, you're separate and really like money is the driver. And it's like, well, I've paid you to do this thing by this time and you said you'd do it by this time. 
uh, I don't care that you've had all these other emergencies to deal with and your other clients maybe. Maybe there's some WordPress update. That oh, went they're not that harsh. <laughs> uh, no, but I'm just saying theoretically. Yeah, yeah. You know, they don't know. They don't see. There's, there's no visibility to anything else you might have been dealing with in the last month. But, but that's interesting. You say there's no visibility. I, I sometimes find actually the more um, honesty and transparency you give to clients on that note. You know, if they're, if they're coming along for their journey with you, and not every client likes that, but if they do, they do understand that. You know, because you you work with them when their time is tight, and vice versa. And I think that's that's something we do foster, which help hopefully alleviate some of those issues that you did mention about if you are a contractor working for someone, is that if if you can have build longer term relationships, so you're still a contractor, you're still working in your time, and they're paying you ad hoc for the work you do or, or small projects, but you have an ongoing relationship with them, you you mitigate some of those issues um, because they do start to understand, and hopefully that many of the relationships we have, we've built that. So we are, we, we're almost like outsourced in-house <laughs> as opposed yeah. to just, you know, just get this done for me and I, you know, I'll pay you and you can go away. Yeah, I mean, that takes I think, at least two things. One of them is a really good understanding client and, and the other one is just time mm. to have done those things where, yes, you jump into the breach when they've got a problem, yeah. you work in the evening and you get it to them the next day and they're like, you know, really appreciative or, you know, they can see that you care about mm. it um that takes time to have those situations arise and that they understand that sometimes you have to give your time to someone else for that yeah. same reason um so yeah it's, it's about it is about a partnership and a, and a longevity and yes not every client sees it like that i, I guess so yeah it just it does depend on the type of work and, and the client yeah that was seth goading on the mesh we had a nice review here i'll just read it out it was by aid gibb um, i know him on twitter i've actually known uh, aiden for quite some time uh, nice guy. Part of what he does now is a, a games company, uh, usually Rude Games. I'll put the link in the show notes and people can have a look and see, see, okay. what, it, see what it's like. But it's quite fun. But he said, um, great content for business owners, five star. Uh, I've been to a couple of Ben's rather inventive courses and got loads of fantastic practical tips for my business. The podcasts are equally fantastic. Highly recommended. That's really nice. Uh, totally unprompted. So thanks very much, Aid. Well, maybe maybe prompted by the podcast listening. But uh, if you're listening to this one, thank you very much. Um, you can let him go now. He's <laughs> So just finally, just something to mention here. I interviewed uh, Dean Murphy, who's founder of the Crystal Adblocker app. Let's see if we can find that on our um, website here. I actually spelled his name wrong on my notes, which when Claire put up, translated through to her um, getting that wrong. She didn't know his um, surname. So uh, I have apologized to Dean. I'm officially apologized on this podcast. Sorry, I think I put Dean uh, Murphy or something like that. Um, that should all be corrected in all the various different places now. I was actually called out Carl Madden uh, notice on the pot on his podcast. I very kindly mentioned um, this one, but actually uh, called out the mistake. Never mind. Never mind. So sorry about that. Um, this is actually a really good interview with Dean. I don't know if you listen to Al, but um, I met Dean on the Mac and Forth podcast, um, and he had developed this ad blocking app called Crystal, and I I'm. As you know, I'm interested in how businesses come to be because I don't believe in overnight successes. You see a lot of things on, um, you know, when, you're, when a company like Instagram sells for a billion or um, WhatsApp for 13 billion or whatever they are, you think, wow, where have they come from? They're just, you know, out of the blue and they're made. But actually, they're not. They're made over, a, usually over a period of time or they might be a different iteration of something else. They've taken experience and time to get there. It's really mm. interesting to go through uh, Dean's history. You know, actually for him, the, the Crystal app was a bit of something he fell into and it snowballed quite well without him planning it. Um, but it was his experience and his uh, uh, planning 
in other things and wanting to try different things that got him there, his curiosity in, in iOS and programming and those sort of different things. So I thought it was a really good interview, actually. Definitely worth people listening to if they're thinking of developing an app or, or they've got something small and they want to promote it because you've got some good ideas on, on just keeping that energy going. So that will be linked in the show notes or you can just search for it on Google. Dean Murphy, founder of Crystal Adblock Rap, that should come up with it. Or you can go to our, our blog. You know, do check it out. All our articles are on there. Everything we've ever published, including all the back episodes of our podcast, interviews, and lots of useful information. Is there anything else you want to add before we sign off, Al? Do you know what? I don't think there is. We can leave anything else for next time. You can find our show notes for this episode, which is episode 31, on our website. And that is under ratherinventive.com slash podcast. You can get in touch with us on Twitter. So I'm at Bing Canard. And Al is Inventive Al. Sponsor again is Inventive People. And so if you need any help with marketing, we've got lots of different mini projects and tasks that are available from WordPress um, coding all the way through to video production, photography and content writing. So we're covering hopefully the wide gamut of stuff. If uh, as a listener to this podcast, if you go there and quote the discount code Inventive Podcast, then you get 20% off your first order. If you want to be part of the show, do send in your um, business uh, or creativity questions to hello at ratherinventive.com or you can tweet at ratherinventive. Just let us know anything you want to promote. If you want a podvert as well, which we'll read out on air, just make sure you hashtag that with podvert. Right, good to talk to you out. I think this went very well. We'll see what it looks like in post. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <It worked. laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully it all recorded. Thanks very much for listening.